This is episode 51 of the Empowered Athlete Podcast. Today on the show, we're thrilled to welcome Karen Thomas. She was a 10-year veteran of Canada's synchro teams, doing both team synchro and duet. She's competed in two Olympic Games and is a double Pan Am gold medalist, growing up in a family that basically spent all their time in the water. Karen's an incredible person, and you will not believe the story she has about the training volume and things she went through in her career. You know, it's a beautiful sport on top of the water. It smiles, form, and finesse, but underneath the surface, it is a blender of activity where feet and legs can be injured. Karen has broken her foot in training and kept on going, and many other injuries, the mental struggles of competing at the highest levels for 10 years. Karen shares it all with us, and it's a fantastic interview. Before we get to Corinne, though, I want to quickly mention the 1230 challenge coming up for October as we finish a month of no sweets. It's been tough. October, though, is about getting outside. Our challenge to you is 30 minutes every single day. Get outdoors and enjoy it. Go running. Go for a walk. Get the dogs out. Get the kids out. Just get outside. Enjoy the beautiful fall colors and enjoy our planet. And now let's get to Corinne Thomas. Welcome to the Empowered Athlete Podcast, created to support athletes in their pursuit of excellence and inspire others toward their best lives. Hosted by Kari Schneider, coach to top performers in sport and life, and Paul Durden, former national and professional volleyball player. All right, we're back with the Empowered Athlete Podcast, and Corinne Thomas, thank you for joining us. Pleasure to have you on the show, and we know you just left the gym, so you're swole, you're pumped up, and you're ready to talk all about training and <laughs> everything else that went into your synchronized swimming career. Welcome. Hey, did you go yeah, to the gym just for, for us, me. so we'd be super impressed? Right on. <laughs> okay, Absolutely. tell before before we really get started, what did you, what you were guys. you training today? What were you working on? Oh, oh major leg day today. So my legs are still shaking. Oh. I couldn't, I could barely walk and, downstairs. And if it's but... major leg day, do you get the, so a lot of people get the yawns or they get the nauseous kind of, do you get any of that? Yeah. I get the shakes is what I, so right now my hands are still, they're completely <laughs> shaking. I'm trying to like calm myself down, but it's just like That's, my body. I love it. Happy. I love it. I'm so, I'm so, that makes me happy yeah. in a sick oh, sort of too. way. So I love it. <laughs> so you come from an incredible sport that a lot of people love, love, love to watch at the Olympics, but may not know a whole lot about the background of this sport. So tell our listeners a little bit about your sport. Right. So I guess synchronized swimming, one of the biggest things that we try to do at least is to make it look easy. So from an outsider's perspective, it always looks beautiful and, um, you know, elegant and easy almost, but um, you know, the training and all of the hours that we put behind every routine that we end up presenting is tremendous. Um, it's a lot of rehearsing, a lot of like redoing the same 20 seconds of a, a routine. And so um, I think it's a quite well-rounded sport. I would couldn't have picked a better it, sport. It, it seems like one of those sports that people watch with kind of awe and fascination and they can't quite look away because they they sit there wonder, wondering how how <laughs> that long and and they're upside down how do they stay so perfectly held and and all those amazing things and you had to learn how to do that so can you give us kind of a um i don't know a little timeline or snapshot that brought you to become an olympian <laughs> well, I synchronous swimming actually stumbled onto me more so than I looked for it. It really, it was on TV during the Olympics in 2000. And so I was 11 years old and I, I saw it like everyone else on TV, like you just said, kind of fell in love with it. And I asked my mom if I could try it. And honestly, the next September I was in that pool and I, I loved every second of it. So I started a little bit later than most um, synchronized swimmers I know. I'd say usually you start in your like early 
kind of like you're seven or eight years old ish, but I was 11 and I then trained in my hometown, which is, uh, gets no right across from the, um, from Ottawa. I trained there for three years and then I moved to Montreal to pursue like higher level of training and high performance training. And then I made the national team. That, three that's years kind after of that. a, a crazy yeah. fast trajectory. Well, I, want to ask, I want to ask though. I mean, like I, from what I know about your family, yeah. your dad uh, and mom were water polo players and, you, and your grandmother was a synchro swimmer. So yes, I just sir. picture your house having a pool or, you know, your family being in the water all the time. So, <laughs> yeah, so I, I would wonder, yeah, I grew you, know, up you, in the, you started in the at 11, sure. but from a swimming strength standpoint, I feel like you must have been miles ahead of a background. I always, I always loved being in the water, whether it was, you know, a lake, a river, the ocean, a pool, I was always happy to be in water. So I think I was always very comfortable in it. And so that definitely helped. And then, you know, as a young child, I just did all of the sports that I could try. I did anything ranging from soccer, tennis, ballet, gymnastics. So I think that all kind of came together once I joined Synchro. And because maybe I was older too, I was able to um, receive corrections faster probably and assimilate different techniques a lot quicker than most. So uh, do you athletes. think that being a little older and having done all of those other sports, do you think that helped prevent maybe some of the burnout that can happen with such an intensely demanding sport like synchro? Possibly. But listen, like, I'm not going to sit here and say I didn't have a burnout at some point in time, you know, like, it's, it's any high performance sport, you're going to push yourself to that limit. And I think that um, regardless of when you started, uh, I think you're going to get there, you're going to push that limit to where you think that you're going to, you know, just call it quits, and then you just don't. And somehow you're, you're still standing the next day. And you you mentioned that and you're kind of alluding to some of the tougher parts here, but you mentioned a moment ago how you just always loved being in the water, lake, pool, all of that. What do you, what do you not mm-hmm. love about being in the water? <laughs> being cold. This girl right here cannot handle being cold. Like if I am, if I get a chill, I am the most like miserable person <laughs> on, on the planet. Curry can relate. Paul, and I, and I say it very loudly. Yeah. Oh, I'm, yeah, really? I, I'm cold a lot of the time and, uh, and I really, yeah, yeah. I, I'm constantly It was cold 30 degrees yesterday hands. here in London and her feet were freezing. Yeah. 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 That's just, yeah, that's my normal. Same, same. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, it's like, and I let the people know too, like everyone around me knows that I'm You don't cold. understand how cold I am though. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I, I just yeah. want people to feel my Please pain. Please relate to me. You must understand. So Seriously. you, you, um, I guess it would be like centralizing for a team sport, but for an individual sport, it's like, uh, well, you, you kind of centralize, but you, you bill it, you move in with a family. You did that by the time you were 13. Is that right? That is right. So I was, I was 13 years old when I moved away from home. I sort of just packed my bags and moved to Montreal, which is really just two-hour drive away from Ottawa. It's not really that far. But um, regardless, you know, I changed schools. I changed uh, swim groups. And all my friends were different. I didn't live with my parents anymore. So it was a pretty big shift for me. But I, um, I had, like, the best trainers, the best, like, coaches I could have ever asked for in Montreal. I had a really great billet family that I still consider part of my own family. I, you know, I talk to them just as much as I talk to my own family. So I, um, I was very, very lucky with everything that sort of ended up happening out there. I think it would have been a different story if one of those things in my environment would have been different. Was the but decision I, to make that change in the move, me. what was the rough plan going into it? Was it try this for a year and see how it goes or was it uh not committing to this and there's you know at the end of x um, number of years then you'll have the next result what was the kind of plan there with the move 
Yeah. I Okay. So I, I'll tell you this one thing about myself is that I'm not, and I never have been, I'm working on it, but I'm not very confident in myself at all. I don't believe in my abilities. Um, I don't really see that I'm, you know, good enough for most things in life. And so I actually got recruited to go to this, uh, this club in Montreal and it took me by surprise, but it was such a nice boost in confidence coming from the exterior. Somebody like seeing me that hadn't coached me before that just thought that I was good enough to be on the best team in Canada at that point. And I, I was so happy and I was just like, Oh my gosh, I could actually do this. Okay. Let's give this a try. Never thinking in a million years that I would make a national team, let alone an Olympic team. Like that was way too far in my mind, but um, I, I just went for it. And I don't know that I had a one-year plan, a two-year plan. I just, I didn't even think about it. Honestly, I just, I did it. I liked it. We kept rechecking in like every, every year, if I still wanted to do it. And I kept saying yes. So I was very lucky that my parents were super supportive of the whole thing. And I, yeah, just get that's, going. that's incredible because it, uh, I mean, well, there's, there's a couple of things like you had mentioned about how, how many factors it took for that all to work out well. But one of the things that came to me mm-hmm. was just how special a billet family needs to be to do what they do for, and, and the love they have to have for sport and other people in order to welcome, welcome somebody into their home and then really truly make a home for that person um, and, and make them part of the family. And one I just got chills. You you saying that, like I think about them. Their names are Sylvie and Gilles, by the way. And I I can't thank them enough for everything that they did for me. Like they went above and beyond um what they could have done, really. I I went on wow. Christmas vacations with these people. Like I I was part of the fam and they just, you know, welcomed me with open arms, provided a, a loving home, uh great food, good like they would drive us to the pool and back all the time. Like I honestly, I really. And and you became good friends with the other person, the other young athlete you were living with, didn't you? Absolutely. Yeah. So she's my best friend. um, Still to this day, we went to the Olympics together. We ended up uh, doing a bunch of routines together. So we, uh, we became very, very close, basically spent all of our, waking moments together and that's I incredible and, and do you do you find that now that you're older and looking back you know as a kid say you're 13 14 15 years old at that age it's hard to really have a lot of gratitude and understanding for what that family is providing you but mm-hmm. you know you, you move forward however many years and you look back and it really sinks in how what an impact they have on you and what it really takes to to be the family they needed to be oh yeah oh for sure and I think at the time I always knew how special it was and how lucky I was but you're right the perspective of time just really shifts how much more grateful I am towards them and um I mean honestly uh, getting away from my own. Do it. I should get into this. Uh, why, why not? Right. Podcast. Let's do. So um, I grew up and my parents are, you know, great and everything. But my mom did have um, a problem with alcoholism. And so when I was growing up, it was always, you know, I never quite knew what to expect when I would get home. And so some days were awesome mm-hmm. and some days weren't so awesome. And I almost took that you know, opportunity to leave my own household as, you know, let's see if a different environment can help me out as a person as well. And it definitely did. I think that I would be a very different person if I would have stayed in that environment. Do you think that that, um, I'm going to say uncertain environment of being in an alcoholic home, do you think that that played into the shaky confidence that you had at that age? Perhaps. I think it also, it, it made me very, um, uh, like, reliant on my, knew that I could rely on myself and confident in the sense that I can, mm-hmm. I can get stuff done on my own. You know, I can, 
I can rely on myself. I can get to wherever I need to get to sort of on my own, not having to ask for too much help because I couldn't necessarily always do that as a child. So I think there's a part of me that really developed a very, um, you know, self, uh, I don't know. Did you like, say a toughness? Not motivation, but there's a lot of like, I relied. Yeah, maybe toughness. Yeah. A little bit of like, yeah. a little grit. It, it's, me, um, you know? I, I, having personally been someone who I spent a couple years living in the U.S. with my aunt and uncle and um and they were the only mm -hmm. real example that i had of kind of a functional relationship or family or you know what parents would often do for kids and uh mm -hmm. and despite some of the hardships that went on throughout my younger years um i still credit what i went through with providing an incredible amount of resourcefulness that you might know yeah. you might notice for yourself i've noticed for myself that i don't see as many other people naturally have that resourcefulness and i think it probably comes from those kind of situations where you learn to rely on yourself like you did for sure for sure so in a way i mean it made me the person i am today and the athlete i was too i think so maybe it just gave me that extra little edge I needed to get through yeah. some of the tough you, times. You headed in, sorry, um, you headed into the, you made the senior national team by the, by 2006. Is that right? Yeah, 2006. And then I competed at the 2007. Which is World remarkable when you think of the intricacy and technicality of your sport and you only first watched it on TV in 2000. Yeah. Like, you know, just to, just, just to wrap people's minds around that, it is, yeah. that is such a steep learning curve for the kind of choreography, skill, um, ability that you would have to have to be competing in a world championships in 2007, and you'd only, Right. Seen the sport in 2000 and had never done the sport in 2000. Yeah. Like it's just. Yeah, it's a it's a technical sport. And I definitely think that I advanced through those what, techniques shed some very light quickly. For, sure. for our listeners, though, on how things must have shifted gears moving from club to the national team. Can you kind of just take us back to. Oh, my gosh. You know. That, that, yeah, the, the incredible shift that, that, that must have jump. occurred for that accelerated learning that you are just talking about there. And I, so this is funny because I remember going to the tryouts for the senior national team and my coach just sort of saying like, oh, we're going to do this for, you know, experience. It's really just for the fun <laughs> of it. You'll see how the big girls do it, you know, and then in a few years you'll, you know, you'll have a better chance of making the Olympic team. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, no big deal. I, we flew to Winnipeg and things just really were clicking for me. I was really going, like things were really going well, all the physical tests, all the technical things The it was a great sort of week of tryouts for me. And the next thing I knew I was on the like top 16 roster and then made the top 12 a few days later. And I should have probably stayed at number, you know, 10 or 11 on the lineup. But for a bunch of different reasons, I ended up making the top eight. So a few injuries, a few girls dropped out. And then next thing I knew, I was swimming all of the routines. And um, I don't think I was fully prepared for it, to be honest. I, I don't know that I was mentally strong enough to handle my sport becoming a job it all of a sudden shifted from you know going to high school in the morning and then training in the afternoons to training from seven in the morning till seven o'clock at night and I had no friends on the team I had um, very little confidence in my ability to be able to like help the team out I was going to big world championships something I knew nothing about I just everything was brand new and I was <laughs> cold all the time miserable miserable all the time <laughs> yep and just, just it was a, it was a tough tough year for me I remember I had I lived pretty far away 
from the pool at the time. And so I had to get up at uh, 4.35 to catch the 4.45 bus a.m. And I would, I, I would cry myself to sleep every night. I would wake up with my puffy eyes from crying and then would jump onto the bus and like ride the bus for about an hour to get to the pool and then just so so it, it was like what what every got day you was out the same, of bed you know literally it, so you're you're crying yourself to sleep what you know i feel like 99 yeah. percent of the people just pack it in that sounds like hell I, that's a really good question and so how how do you yeah it was what was me the, at the time. mental talk that got you out of bed and on the bus i you know what? I don't even know that there was a mental talk. I think it was like, it was robot mode. I didn't have any thoughts going in. It was just like, my body was just doing it. And I didn't question it too much. I didn't, you know, ask myself these big exist existential questions. Um, I just sort of did it. And it, <laughs> I mean, for better or worse, it got, I got through it. Um, and I think at the end of that year, I got uh, cut. So one of the girls that uh, was out on injury came back and then she regained her spot and I got cut out. And at the time I was devastated, but it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because I ended up spending a year back at the club and training for, you know, seven months with the my friends, with the coaches I knew, with, you know, all these like this great environment that I knew from before. And then went back to the uh, national team trials the next year and was way more prepared for everything that was about to You know that that probably, that pivotal cut was probably the exact thing that allowed you to make it to two Olympics. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it gave me so much perspective, you know, like the fact that I was so devastated from that cut Mm -hmm. made me realize yeah. how much I actually wanted it and how much I needed to shift my perspective on that environment and what that meant to me. So, you know, going into, uh, into like the national team after the 2008 Olympics, I was ready. I was, you know, of course there were days that I, I hated it too and that it was really tough, but it was way different than the year before. And then you were on the trajectory for the London, the 2012 London Olympics. Yes, ma'am. And it's funny because I look back on, um, you know, those first few weeks or months uh, of that quad leading up to London. And I remember thinking that those Olympics <laughs> seemed so far away. It seemed like four years were just going to, they they might just kill me. I didn't, I didn't even know if I was going to make it. But And I did it go by try. way faster than you thought? Um. At some points, yes. And at some points, no. I mean, I have probably, I have so many stories from that time period. Those four years were so eventful for me. I like, we went on a lot of trips, a lot of training camps, a lot of crazy competitions that um, I ended up building some really strong, strong bonds with my teammates. And I, uh, yeah. Now it was a good you time. said training camps. Now I think there was a real memorable Thailand <laughs> experience that, you know, if it wasn't going to break you, if that didn't break you, nothing would. What was, share a little bit about that experience. Uh, oh, Thailand. Yeah, I, it's funny. I talk about Thailand a lot, but it's because it was so meaningful, uh, I think for the whole team, but I just, it made quite the impact on me. And um, it's funny, I was just in Montreal last what, last month, I guess. And we, all the girls, we all sort of got together, the girls were in town and we still talk about that training camp. Like it's still like, it's still a heavy, yeah, it's, it's a good converse, conversation. But um, so we were in Thailand basically for six weeks leading up to the world championships in 2011 um, in China. So Thailand's pretty close to China. We thought, you know, let's get used to the whole time change, train out in Asia for a while, and then we'll head on to China, feel super ready. But that training camp, um, I mean, we were staying at a beautiful hotel. They had amazing food. The pool was beautiful from the outside, and we had everything we could have ever wanted. We just, um, we didn't expect, I don't think, the amount of heat that 
come in like come that summer it must have been an average of 46 degrees celsius we the pool would overheat most days so they would have to put um big giant ice cubes in it like that they would fill bins up and then freeze them overnight and then those would try to they would try to put those in That's the pool to cool the pool down yeah so I mean, I loved it. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't cold for the first time in my life. So I loved every second of it, but it was tough to get through. It exhausts you, and fatigues you faster. And then, yeah. Oh, 100%. And we were spending, you know, we were in the pool at 6.30 in the morning. And then we weren't out of there until 3.30 p.m. And then we would do our weight session when the sun would sort of go down a little bit for us because it was all outdoors. So we'd do weights from like four to about five so our, our days were just in the sun non-stop and halfway through or like three quarters way through of that camp our team captain um decided that she wasn't going to be able to compete at, at the world championships for i mean i think mentally she just wasn't able to handle everything that was happening so she had to go home and so she left us and we were trying to scramble like not only filling her spot but trying to fill that oh. void of it when something captain. like that happens how do you what happened in your situation to fill that void like who did <sighs> did the team pick a new team captain did the coaches pick like how did that work we kind of naturally had team leaders I, you know how in every team there's always like a few girls that can step up to that plate naturally. We didn't really have a huge discussion about it. I don't think it was quite evident who would pick up the slack in that sense. So I was always super confident in the girls that were in place already um, to do different like sort of leadership jobs. And they just all, there's like two or three of them that just took over and just juggled it all together. And it was really seamless in that sense. But for me, the biggest thing was that um, the girl that ended up leaving, she was a good friend of mine. You know, I loved her. I cared about her deeply. And it it made quite an impact on me personally to just see her leave because I never would have, ex I thought she was, you know, the strongest mental athlete I had ever seen. Like she was unbelievable to me. And so for that girl, that my superhero to just yeah. sort of, hang up her bathing suit and go home and, and you can imagine you can just imagine the internal struggle that she had that she wasn't sharing because she wouldn't have wanted to impact the group negatively you can just imagine what she went through exactly. to try and come to that decision and take action on it i can only imagine and i mean gosh she yeah she must have been really hurting and I had no idea and I think that was the biggest part for me too is that like I wish I could have helped her did more you, had I had known. your career find yourself in a similar position mentally that she was in though from what you know about what she was going through I and mean, you mentioned you know at the beginning that there are some real lows you had a you know a 10-year career yeah. of insane training how about what was the toughest moments for you mm -hmm. there's there's definitely there's definitely years where, or like months even that I, I questioned if I was doing the right thing, if I was at the pool for the right reasons. And, you know, leading up even to, it's always for me, it's when I'm leading up to the biggest competitions and when things get really tough physically, that mentally I start to also feel it. So it's, it, it really goes hand in hand for me. And that's when I have to sort of dissociate the two and re realize that my mm -hmm. physical fatigue is impacting my mental that is state. such a that is such a pro attribute yep. that is the thing that really distinguishes professional seasoned athletes from the amateurs because i you know i i see have seen it over and over where the physical push because i've had the athletes constantly going to that next level physically and inevitably, mm -hmm. there's typically a mental breakdown that goes with that because they are so unaccustomed to the fatigue or the soreness or the whatever that comes with the physical um, exhaustion or advancement. And what you just described, being able to distinguish and separate the two and go, okay, my body is at its edge 
and my mind doesn't have to be at its edge right now. I have strength and, and just such a depth and strength in my mind that I still have so much more to draw from and I can do that. And that type of attribute, I think, comes from the experience and the confidence that comes from having been through something like that before. And that's exactly <laughs> why coaches do training camps. They just push and push and push yep. until people are breaking down in every possible way, emotionally, mentally, physically. And, but once they get through it and they overcome it and they see the other side and they see how far they've come, their confidence and their understanding of what they're capable of is such a different thing than it was prior to that type of training camp. Oh, absolutely. You said it, you like, you're bang on with that. And I think that I, I'm lucky in the sense that I had to go through so many of those training camps yeah. where yep. you literally don't think that you're going to make it. Like it's, it sounds crazy to say right now, cause I'm sitting in my car and I'm, you know, mm -hmm. it's a beautiful day outside and I just had a great training session, but I fully remember being in the pool. It's, you know, 1 PM. I still have five more hours to go and I'm, I think that I'm not going to like, I don't think that they're going to see me at the end of the day. I, you know, I would just vanish. It would just be too much. And that would be it. Like my body would just, nope, no more. And somehow every yeah. single yeah. time yeah, yeah. you make it. Now for, for both of you being athletes who have been through so many training camps, you as an athlete, you know how you would get that. I've seen this in, in a lot of athletes, how they get that kind of, irritation at younger athletes who haven't been through as many camps and just you know you 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 almost feel like the old the old fart who's looking at the grandkid going well it was all uphill both ways to my school or and we walked 10 miles you know like did did you ever have that feeling where you're just kind of looking down upon the other athletes because they hadn't been through that kind of camp <laughs> Of course. I mean, <laughs> you can't be a seasoned athlete and not think that at least once, you know, I think that it's just, it's natural to think that what you went through was way worse than what you're currently yeah. going through with a younger group, but that's their story too. And that's something that I love realizing now. I see the younger athletes that I used to train with in my second quad yeah. that are still competing today. And I can, I can just tell like they, they're there now, you know, they had to go through it with me back in the day thinking that it wasn't hard enough, but you know, they went through it and it was hell for them and it was really tough and they, they're here now and they're still competing and they're, you know, at the Pan Am games currently might be winning a gold medal in the next few days. Like it's unreal. I, I love it. And it's just the big circle of, of sports. There we go. It's <laughs> of life. I just saw the Lion King. It's your Sporting is life. What? <laughs> So yeah, you, absolutely. you know, you're talking training camps and the toughness and the grit, um, but people don't really, I think, appreciate what kind of injuries can come from synchronized swimming because, you know, you, yeah. they're in the water, they're kind of, but there's a, there's a, a technicality to this sport and a, a tightness, a proximity of space in this sport that people may not be fully aware well. of. Describe some of the injuries or what. Yeah, I just want to say because yeah, it looks, it looks, the... you know, you guys are smiling on top of the water. Everything's perfectly aligned <laughs> and beautiful. And I feel like it's a blender <laughs> underwater of just like, <laughs> yeah. like, uh, yeah. It, yeah. That's like keep your toenails short actually. so you're not gouging somebody or what? <laughs> oh my God. We have a toenail police. I was joking. <laughs> that's a real thing serious business here we'll talk about oh yeah um it's sort of twofold I feel like the injuries that I've at least seen in whether it's my career or around me so you have the sh shocker the impact uh injuries so whether that's like contact basically we end up you know punching or kicking each other quite a bit and I've seen you know I've myself I've broken uh I've have Jeez. one of my foot I broke four times just to give you an idea like it just it just kept breaking and it was just on impact with other people's, uh, you know, heels or knees or feet. And 
And so that's one of them. So you have like the broken noses, the broken fingers, nothing too serious, but still they're there and um, they, they hurt when they happen. Nothing that, you know, would keep you from being able to train or compete, but still. Uh, and then there's the overuse uh, injuries that we see quite a bit in our sport. So our hips end up getting quite a bit of damage. Shoulders can get damaged, backs I've seen. So we because we work in such a big range of motion as well, like we're in the extreme range of motions with our legs and our arms and our backs at all times. And we go very quickly from yeah. one range to the next that that ends up causing, you know, a, some damage, especially if you have some uh, like weaker muscles in your core yeah. or in your glutes or something which we do into well, plus it's it's such a different environment because you're in the water so unlike say a volleyball player where you're getting all kinds of absorbing contractions or eccentric <laughs> contractions you just don't have that in the water it's this constant concentric thing and without that that absorbing or negative contraction it would be really easy to get weak in certain spots because it's a constant concentric thing going on in the pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's surprising how many athletes I've seen now that I'm, you know, doing a little bit more coaching and stuff that are extremely weak in muscles that are, in my opinion, mm-hmm. so important. Like the glute muscles are just not mm-hmm. firing the same way they should be. It, the core muscles aren't firing the same way they should be. And then they wonder why their hips are all. But there's so many or, hours you know, in shoulders. the water that, that that's, you know, that's the specific adaptation that has happened to the training that they're enduring. Yes. And then the other thing that I was like, yeah. I was thinking of those, the people who would have a broken, you know, you've had this broken foot and unlike other sports where Typically, if somebody had a broken foot in volleyball or a sprained ankle in volleyball, they're not going back yeah. to practice that week or whatever. And they're, they're off, you know, yeah, they're, for probably yeah. a few yeah. weeks or depending on the severity. But for you guys, you go right back to yeah. practice same day or next day. And that, that anxiety over oh, smacking yeah. that broken spot again, you know, oh, oh. it's so it's real. The, the is intense uh, like I think that's probably the worst part it's not even the actual pain that you do or like yeah just grazing <laughs> your foot and you want to murder them right so it's, I I would just I remember the first time I broke it I thought um I guess after the first time you sort of get used to that type of pain and I feel like you can get through it a little bit easier but that first time I broke it I, I they taped it up and I was, you know, I was back in that pool and I was terrified. Like, I didn't want anyone close to me. But obviously, with the nature of our sport, I had to be close to my teammates. So, yeah, it's one of those things that mentally it's, it's tough. It really, like, you have to Tr- stay focused. You have to, you know. Trust your, your teammates. Trust and, the yeah, process. So- yeah. And, you, yeah, you just got to know that you're going to get hit again and it's going to hurt. And you're so just going to keep clearly- going. That's sort of the thing physically tough and you have the mental stamina to endure the incredible training (laughs) load and durations tell us a little bit about your mental toughness in competition where you know you're in a sport where there isn't a second half to make a comeback you you know you're doing your routine you have to nail it what what sort of Mm -hmm. tools did you add to your arsenal along the way or you know what what were your tricks to being on in the biggest moments yeah I think you know for me um especially as I got older the biggest thing was repetition in practice I wanted to sort of work out any possible kink that I could possibly foresee even if it never happened happened in practice I would prefer to have you know I I remember training once where we would rip off our nose plugs to so we put nose plugs on to keep the water from rushing into our brain basically and then and so um and so one of the days we just practiced doing the first half of our routine without a nose plug what Uh, would you do when would you put it back on how would you figure that so that no one would you know be able to see that in competition because you never know what can happen so a lot of preparation goes into it and i just 
I think that's what I relied on. I would get to whatever competition and be like, I've done this at least 500 times, if not more. I've got this in the bag. Like, I know exactly how to handle everything that can happen. And we train, like, you know, we put weight belts on, we put clothing on, we put a lot of like extra just weight on our bodies so that training is so hard and <laughs> mm. we get to competition. It's like a treat. It feels nice. and and there's all the there's all the costume and makeup and things like that too. You know, that's a whole nother factor <laughs> yeah. that unless you're training in that occasionally oh, yeah. you you know, there's gonna be a, a sequin or a strap or a something flying off at some point or another. Can I just tell you one time, I will always remember, <laughs> German Open 2009. I I was a flyer back in the day, which means that I did the acrobatic work when we throw somebody in the air. I was the one sort of doing the f- fancy flips. And so um, I had a fancy, you know, beautiful headpiece uh, glued onto my head with bobby pins and all what have you to keep it there. But for whatever reason, I landed a little bit funny after my flip and my whole headpiece just decided to stick right up like an afro. Like it was just huge right up there. And so the entire rest of the routine, I had like three more minutes to go. My teammates are all trying to oh, rip it oh off my gosh. my head underwater. Because so, I looked I looked ridiculous. Like I just looked completely insane. I mean, our sport already kind of looks a little ridiculous at points. This was extra crazy. But I just looked, I was looking at it like a sore. Because then as they they try to pull it off, it's pulling. That's what I'm picturing. It's getting worse and bigger. Like like a rat's nest. Oh, yeah. It was just, it was a gong show. It was just the worst. So stuff does happen, even though we do, you know, rehearse in our suits and everything. It just, you never know. Like, you stuff just happens what about I mean what about body image I know we've spoken with different athletes who have been Mm -hmm. in gymnastics or diving or different female sports where this there's this expectation on women to have a certain look or body type or percentage of body fat Um, what's it been like in your sport in general or for you I've had so I've had the opportunity to work with three basically head coaches between, you know, leading up to the 2008 Olympics, leading up to the 2012 and then 2016, they're all different coaches and every single one of them had a different um, view on how, you know, the, our bodies should look. And um, I think that the toughest one for me was definitely leading up to London. We were, um, on a very strict sort of, I want to say it wasn't even diet. It was just, we were, we were weighed every day before getting into the pool. We had to make weight. And if we didn't, we weren't, we weren't practicing that day. We were off the team for that day. And then it was just kind of a extra stress that we had to deal with. Um, I mean, we have a very aesthetic sport. We have to be eight people that somewhat look the same, somewhat move the same. And so one of our coaches ways to do that was to keep us all at the relatively same weight. Um, so yeah, needless to say, like I have a, I have a love hate relationship with any body image stuff that sort of happens. I think it's, it's sad that it's necessary in our sport, but I also appreciate that if you want, movement to look the same on everyone you sort of have to have a very similar body type. what what coat it doesn't you don't have to name names or anything like that but how what method or what approach do you think handled the aesthetics of your sport best so if there was a coach who had a, a best scenario approach what do you think that was that handled this this necessity in your sport the best um, it's hard to say, really, because one side of me completely agrees with the only aesthetic part and like, you just go for the look only. But then, you know, as I evolved as an athlete, I, and I had a different coach who just sort of wanted us to be look strong and look healthy and look, you know, powerful. Um, 
I don't know that we saw mm. the results that we wanted necessarily with that mindset. So the judges I, I can't tell you that there's the judges would have had to match that same way. philosophy if you know if the coach has a philosophy of looking healthy and looking strong and maybe and maybe more a little slightly different yeah. from each other, not as as uh, yeah 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 Cohesive, as a group. I guess the judges would have to have that same philosophy in order for that to have the results that you want, say podium wise or, or ranking wise. Speaking right. of, go ahead. We, no, sorry. I was just, it was just crazy that that is a thing, but mm -hmm. it's just, it, it is in our sport. Speaking of results, you had some really impressive results in the, the 2011 world championships after that crazy, crazy <laughs> training camp. <laughs> and and then yeah. in 2012 at the Olympics, it was fourth that the team finished. Yeah, we finished in fourth. Um, so obviously, so after uh, the 2011 World Championships, we had our um, bronze medal, and we, you know, honestly worked so hard for it. We we're so happy about it, and we're very, you know, looking forward to the Olympics and hoping for our podium again. But uh, yeah, so we trained for like a year, really aiming for a podium finish. Um, so needless to say that that fourth place is awesome of a result as it oh, is. A little bit? A little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just a little. Just enough to like, enough to ah, yeah, yeah. Enough. Well, there's so two ways to go that... with it. You know, for some people, it's just demoralizing. Yeah, that's you... it. And other people, it's the fuel right. for the fire. Feel for the fire, yeah, 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 and that that led you to keep going for another quad. It was part of it for sure. Like I, I had such a close brush to the podium that I kind of wanted to have it again. Like I wanted to see if it was possible. That's one of them, and then another one was just like, let's see how much, how better I can be, like how so much more you, I can push myself. But oh, I, I was going to ask, so when you were switched, going looking forward to twenty sixteen for Rio, you were you know, asked to do duet instead of team mm -hmm. coming off of that fourth place. Obviously your motivation was a mm -hmm. medal. Did, did that align that request yeah. to switch you to duet from the team event? Did that align with you reaching your goals or did you feel like you had to make a sacrifice in some way for that? Mm. You know, I think that the podium thing is, it's more the, the feeling that you get when you're really close to something like you're so close to touching it it's almost like you I just wanted that feeling again I didn't to be honest I don't know that I cared so much about having a medal around my neck at the end of all of it more so than like looking back at my performance and being mm. like damn that was awesome and is that how is that how Rio was for you was it a damn <laughs> uh -huh. Good question. I, mm, it's hard. Rio was a tough time for me. I didn't feel super prepared leading up to the games. And I mean, it's tough because I obviously I'm not in charge of my own training and everything that went into it. But I just I think I was in my state of maybe slightly heightened stress or anxiety or nerves. I wanted to do more. That's sort of like what I I go for generally if I'm nervous or something about whether it's a project that I'm working on I just do more of it because I I want to make sure that I'm you know covering all my bases and so maybe I was just more nervous about the Rio games and I just felt like our volume mm. in training wasn't high enough and so I remember going to the Rio games and being mm. like I feel like I haven't done enough I don't feel prepared I don't feel like do you think your partner would have been able because she was yeah, and still yeah. is significantly younger than you. Do you think she would have had the capacity, though, yeah. to handle the kind of volume that you would handle? Because there's just such a different, sometimes physical um, resiliency when someone, based on age and training history. If anything, my resiliency mm. would have been lesser than hers. Like she is a firecracker. <laughs> that kid. I mean, she's not a kid anymore. That amazing young woman is one of the most resilient athletes I've ever uh, gotten to train with. Like she, she's a powerhouse. She can handle everything and anything you throw at her. So I think that we both this is Jacqueline for more um, in a sense. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, Jacqueline's <laughs> I call her Jack or Jackie. Um, so, yeah, I think Jack and I just sort of would have loved a little bit more. And, you know, we're both very, I like that feeling like today at the end of the day where my whole body is shaking from a good workout. Like that's sort of what I was looking for leading up to Rio and not, mm. I didn't feel like I got that. And is that something you think you could have communicated to whether it's coaching staff or, you know, performance enhancement team that would be setting up your, your periodization or your training plan is that something that you yeah we did um and I mean we we had a great you know relationship with our head coach at the time and she um she was hearing us I think but was a little bit afraid to push us to that limit I think maybe because of injuries maybe because she wanted to you know we were the only two representing Canada for the first time in a long time. Like the team didn't qualify for the Rio games. So I think that maybe she was trying to just make sure that we were healthy. And yeah. Able to yeah. It's a, it's a hard sense. thing to push well, the limit, push the limits when you've got no backups, you know, yeah. it's, it's your only, yeah, from, exactly. from only entries perspective. Yeah. It'd be catastrophic not to have representatives, you know, for the future, for, you know, for the, you picture yourself yeah, exactly. seeing synchro on TV and being hooked. It's not going to happen, right? If you and your partner are out and the team is not Absolutely. competing either. So somewhat understandable. And even exactly. from, yeah. even from a coaching and political Absolutely. standpoint, you know that the coach or the program is getting some um, feedback or suggestions yeah. from the powers that be, you know, that fund and direct things if, if you know what I mean. So so it's interesting how that influence trickles down to what's happening in the trenches. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that's one thing that I am so glad that I am not a head coach for is it's a tough job. You have to listen to so many different people and so much like different advice that sort of comes in from people that don't necessarily even know your own sport. Mm -hmm. They just they know sports in general, but they don't know your specific sport mm -hmm. or the history of it and they they kind of like to think that they can help and they they do but also sometimes yeah. They, yeah. they don't it's interesting how how so many of those decisions from high up affect things down below but there's nothing you can really do about it yes um yeah and, yeah and i feel like coaches are also kind of stuck in the middle too like athletes get get a part of it but so so the coaches it's not an easy thing to what has been think. your you know you've described a pretty illustrious career it's been amazing and you've reached these these pinnacles of sport what has been the biggest struggle would you say throughout this whole journey um i think it's sort of two-part for me um one of them was getting over uh, me like putting myself down all the time I needed to you know get over that and be not even just confident but just like stop being so hard on yourself where did that come from um, that was one of them and that, oh I don't know that's um I think I sort of started to get over it once I got paired with Jacqueline in duet because she doesn't do that to herself really ever she she works very hard and she's very demanding but she's never her De self-talk is demeaning yeah mean to herself yeah exactly and I whereas I was ridiculous to myself like some of the self-talk I used to have was just like not okay like I would mm -hmm. never say that to another human being why should I say that to myself right and so that was a, a big one for me another one was just mm. getting over injuries I think I've had accidents that just sort of happened and I you know I dislocated my shoulder and I honestly didn't know if I was ever going to regain mobility or strengthen it the same way I, I it's tough getting over injuries is tough and yeah. I it's interesting how it's it's both the mental and the physical that are the biggest struggles and yet both of them impact mm -hmm. the other as well the physical realm and the yeah, mental it's, realm it's so similar to what yeah. you described about just learning to handle oh, training yes. volume that you know you until you go through it you yeah. don't realize you can handle it and same with an injury you know how am I going to come back from this this mm -hmm. feels so bad I can't do anything will I ever be 100% again it's again that yeah 
learned experience that uh, just the, the veterans have that the young athletes don't. Yeah. Yeah, and you, it, there's no other way to really get to that point unless you've sort of been there. And it's sad, but like you just you're going to get hurt eventually and you're going to learn to deal with it. Yeah. And you're either going to keep yeah. going or you're not. That's going to be the end of it. What's next for you? Um, that's a really big question for me right now. Um, I recently got into some coaching out here in Saskatoon. So I am now coaching some of the the best athletes in the province that I, it's such a privilege to me to be around these young women. They are, you know, 15, 16 years old and they're competing on the national stage and I am loving every second of being around them. So I'm hoping I get to do a little bit more of that. Um, and I also have, so I did a nutrition certification recently as well. So I'm hoping that I can maybe help more people out with that. Aspect. Awesome. That's amazing. Like, I'm grinning, <laughs> grinning ear to ear too, for, for just the fact that you're, you know, lit up by coaching other athletes. Hopefully they can listen to this podcast, but um, if they do, for young athletes, whether it's synchro or other, what would be your piece of advice that might be the nugget to, to share from your experience? Just keep going, you know, don't quit because things happen. I, you know, I might've never uh, made the Olympics if I didn't get cut from the team. Like, I think things happen for a reason. And if you just have that resiliency in you and you just keep going, you'll get to where you want to. It just might not happen in the timeline that you had envisioned for yourself. That's an amazing, that's a great piece of advice for life as well. And quick, uh, quick fire off of some little bits personally about you. What would you say is a favorite food right now? Mm. Yeah. Right, right oh now, barbecued pizza. How do you like, like doing the pizza yeah. on the barbecue? That's how you're cooking it. Oh, yum. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> so we make our dough at home and then we barbecue it and it's unreal. Like I'm a, I'm a, okay. I have a sweet tooth for sure. Yes. I'm a big fan of chocolate in general. But right now, barbecue pizza. I oh, jam, especially I after leg day. <laughs> leg day is going to make yeah. you want that even more. And uh, what about favorite movie? Oh, yeah. mm. I, uh, I uh, can't really. I do like a lot of superhero stuff. So any of the Avengers stuff that is coming out or will be coming out, I'm excited about. But I just... I watch movies for entertainment. I don't know that yeah. I'm like. A I'm like that. I could be just though. happy that I got to watch any movie, and I'm yeah. like, "Yep, this is awesome. I get to so watch a about, movie." Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. And I get. What yeah. about yeah. favorite music? So happy. To to jack you up for an event or leg day. Or yeah. What are you listening to on leg day? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for leg day. See, I'm very specific. There's days like for whether I'm doing cardio or leg day, it's very different playlist. Um, for. <laughs> For leg day, I like a lot of like angry beats. I get like, I get some good, you know, something with good bass and really just get me fired up, kind of angry a little bit. But I'm also, uh, you know, I like, I like just general pop music or remixes that I can nice, get. Nice, nice. Little Spotify plug there. That's awesome. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and any other things that you want to share before we hop off with you? Um, no, other than just, you know, I hope this inspired any athlete that's going through, you know, their journey into wherever it is that they want to go. And, um, if you guys want any more help or anything, never be afraid to reach out to another teammate, another athlete or a coach or someone. There's and always and lastly, uh, love those, love those finishing words. Uh, lastly, though, don't want to forget, you're a big supporter of Can Fund. Oh, yeah. Big fan of Can Fund. So uh, all the athletes 
that are listening to this podcast right now should go on the Can Fund uh, webpage. They do have an application form that you can apply for and hopefully get uh, you know money that can go towards training or just maintaining a lifestyle that will help you to training support. They all every young athlete typically needs a bit of training support. That's awesome. Oh yeah, awesome. Well, thank you, Corinne, so, so much. You are amazing. You're a rock star. And we're so, so glad we could, uh, we could have this time with you. <laughs> thank you very much. All right. Thank you so much for listening. To get more support in living your best life, find us in our free Facebook community, Empowered Top Performers. We're on Instagram at Paul Durden and at Empower Conditioning. Please share this podcast and rate us. A five-star review would mean the world to us. That is how we connect with and support more people to excel in sport and life. Take what you learned today and try it. Progress is perfection.